0: At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast. Three, two one and we're rolling today on operation Tango romeo the trauma recovery podcast we have dr rob kelly now dr rob has been on cbs's the doctors all kinds of tv shows and national radio shows across the country dr rob thank you so much for joining my little show operation Tango romeo
1: my pleasure absolutely mark it's good to be here thank you for having me
0: thank you well right off the bat now you are the recovery expert as far as alcoholism is concerned. And one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on is within the veteran and first responder community, there is a whole lot of alcoholism. It yes. is promoted among the ranks. It is part of the culture, The from drinking games to drinking celebrations. And a whole lot of soldiers, first responders, end up alcoholics as a result. So I wanted to start off with asking you about the link between trauma and addiction.
1: Well, first of all, we got to look at uh, wherever there's addiction, there's always trauma, especially with alcoholism, always trauma. So the connection is there. And from our research over 27 years, this is what we've found. The addictive brain, brain is born this way. So alcoholism, you can't drink too much alcohol to become an alcoholic. It's an impossibility. So we look at the alcoholic brain uh, as general, So we're born this way. It's passed down through generation to generation. You can trace it back in your family. And what happens is the remapping of the brain from childhood uh, decides whether we have trauma or not. So therefore, how do we decide what trauma is? Well, we decided that anything less than nurturing as a child can be classed as child abuse when we're talking about the alcoholic brain. And what happens is the brain is distorted and remapped, which is also linked to the central nervous system. So the subconscious brain will collect this information and it will store it away. And we don't know why or how, but later on in life when we start to drink alcohol and the connection is made, slowly but surely that stuff starts to be released into into the conscious mind and then the PTSD starts off. Now, PTSD doesn't have to be a war or a huge accident. It can be anything from childhood, anything. From your mom slapping you to you're always being told that you're a waste of time and you can never succeed. So that connection's there. It's uh, it's the remapping of the brain when when uh, when in childhood, and 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 everybody wants to make a big fuss with it. But the bottom line is that is exactly what it is. That's what causes it in alcoholics,
0: the stress injury, uh, PTSD. Um, the new term seems to be OSI if it's dr- directly job related. But what I keep hammering home for uh, for people is that. Comparative trauma is something you shouldn't be doing. You know, we're not, not out here to, to um, pull out the measuring stick. Whether, I, I've heard terms like, well, they were, when they are at the base, they were just flipping pancakes behind the wire. I was outside the wire all the time. So what in the hell do they got to be stressed about? With And you understand where they're coming from, but that's comparative trauma. And uh, so you don't know what the guy flipping pancakes was was going through, or what their history was. So it's uh, being judgmental like that is not helpful
1: no, and and the, and there's more and more and more of this going on is the dismissal of what one counselor calls trauma, and the other one calls, you know, grow up, be a man. We have to understand of, of this, once again, the childhood remapping of the brain. It's very, very important. and And more and more, as the years go on, we're what, understanding what's going on, with PTSD, but uh, yeah, you've got to, you've got to understand that it, it you don't have to see something crazy, horrible, you know, it all depends Up childhood trauma could be, you know, not being told you're good enough. And then later on in life, you work for the company and they tell you exactly the same thing. I mean, that is traumatic when you hear it again, as an adult, but you've been uh, stuff you've been hearing all your life as a child that can be classed as trauma.
0: Absolutely, and the more childhood trauma that you have, the more susceptible you are to PTSD. The, the less resilient you are, because your trauma cup is already right up at the brim before you go to the war or get onto the street, and where your job is picking up dead bodies or, or uh, going to domestic abuse cases or, or whatever your first responder case is. If your if your cup is already full, well, <laughs> it's pretty tough to decompress after that.
1: Yes, it is. And, and that's why we have to look at self-care. Self-dialogue and self-care are very important. And again, we're learning more and more as we go through the decades. Uh, but you have to be real careful. If, if you're walking into, I'm going to loosely, please forgive me, war zones, which could be an accident. It could be a, a, an abusive relationship. But when you're walking into there unprepared and wide open without doing any work on yourself, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. And it will feel like you've just come back from Afghanistan. You know, on the front line. I mean, that's it's the same effect. The brain doesn't know the difference between an abusive relationship. I mean, a really abusive relationship and coming back from a real war. I mean, people go, that's just not right. No, no, it is. Let's really understand what stress and PTSD is and and the effect it has on the central nervous system and the brain. And try not to belittle it. It doesn't mean you don't have to go to a foreign country and fight and come out to get PTSD or any sort of trauma. It's there. It's real, and it's destroying more people than we like to say.
0: Trauma is trauma is trauma, regardless of the modality.
1: Exactly. We have to we have to just understand and run with that.
0: One of the things in your work that's uh, caught my eye and that I quite like is that. You're not big on treating the symptoms. You prefer to get to the causation and to treat the problem. So why is that, and how do you do that?
1: Well, if we look at alcoholism or addiction, just because that's my specialist subjects, alcohol has got very little to do with alcoholism, and drugs have got very little to do with drugs. So why should we be concentrating on We we call the symptom is the alcohol and the drugs? What's really causing the problem? If I take away the alcohol from an alcoholic, is he still an alcoholic? Well, yes, he is. So how do we change that? Well, it's all in the mind. Alcoholism, trauma, its a we like to call it a brain injury, not a brain illness, because you can get over it. So it all affects the brain. That's where the problem is, whether it's addiction or trauma, it's all remapping the neural pathways from the self-sabotaging neural pathways. Because that's what PTSD, the bottom line is, the cells the nervous system and the self-sabotaging neural pathways. Because when people come back from a traumatic event, they never feel good enough. They never fit in anymore. They don't know how to cope with life. So they mostly turn to alcohol and drugs because they can't cope. And there starts an addiction, especially with the drugs or the painkillers or, you know, all the stuff that we're taking. And uh, and before we know a date is we're spiraling out of control. And, and, and then people are going, well, if you can just stop taking drugs, it'd be okay. No, that's the symptom. What's really going on? And we really have to track what's going on. And it can be repaired and this is what people again that's why we call it a brain injury it can be repaired just like any injury can be repaired we have to go back to the scene of the crime we have to clear the stuff up and we have to remap neural pathways for a new way of living and and if we don't we're always going to go down the self-sabotaging neural pathways because that's what causes them
0: that sounds it's like neurolinguistic programming that sounds like Take neuro it that it sounds up. like neurolinguistic programming that sort of yes. uh, ideology
1: Exactly. That's, that's what we do here at Rob Kelly Recovery Group. We use NLP quite a lot because it's the only way without, without being invasive or without drugs. It's the only way. And it's very successful of, uh, of remapping the brain. Very, very successful.
0: Are you getting a lot of resistance from the mainstream community? Because uh, I've been through three years of conventional therapy where you basically get re-traumatized again and again. And again, and I had a whole bunch of new symptoms like anxiety attacks and everything else because of going through uh, that very, very difficult process. Um, is there any more acceptance in, in uh, the mainstream community for NLP or, or in uh, modalities similar to it?
1: The problem with mainstream treatment as a whole, and I'm going to shock quite a few people here and I don't apologize for it. It's because there's no money in people getting well. There's no money in people recovering from what they're going through. The pharmaceutical company doesn't like it. The doctors don't like it. So when we look at NLP, it's always gonna be put down. It's always gonna be belittled wherever possible. But the the bottom line is, is I'm an NLP practitioner. And in 27 years of being in practice as a psychologist, it's the only tool that I know that will safely remap the brain. But again, it's not being publicized because nobody likes a treatment that costs nothing
0: i'd like to p- point out for our for our audience is that uh, you're not some guy with a couple of new age courses under your belt that you got on the weekend uh, Dr. Rob Kelly is a double doctor. He has two PhDs. And then in, the, in addition to that, several certifications, including uh, certification in uh programming and life coaching. So uh, w- with that kind of background, uh, is, is anybody listening as far as uh, mainstream psychologists? Is anybody listening to uh, the efficacy of NLP?
1: Yeah, we're making noises and, uh, and uh, we're being successful. Uh, so my two PhDs in one psychology, one in behavioral science, uh, neuro neurolinguistic programming practitioner and somatic experience practitioner, which is Classes New Wave, even though we've been about for hundreds of years. So we're making a difference. We do this deal to get people well. So when we first started, we were dismissed by a lot of people. Treatment centers as a whole don't really like me. Because I tend to have a large mouth that, that will blast you any way you want if you try and dismiss our work. And a success rate is around 97%. Usual success rates in treatment centers are around 7%. So we're making that much of a noise. And we're talking, and again, Matt, we're not talking like three or four patients. We're talking about 5,678. I looked it up just for a come on, patients that I've worked with. So there's some good studying on there over a the long period of time that these cases work. But again, they have to start taking notice because we're not going anywhere.
0: Well, whatever works, works. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Sue Hannibal, but I'm. Uh, she does something similar to NLP treatment. And I'll talk to you about her off air. But uh, there's got to be a better way than what we're doing, as there's so many people that don't continue. I mean, First, let me back up a second. Three years of conventional therapy paid for by Veterans Affairs Canada. I'm grateful for it. Now, it was an ass kicker, you know, and and still is. It is brutal to endure um, because you're reliving the traumas again and again. But I I did get progress. It's been ugly, but I have progress, and I'm grateful for it. But there's got to be a better way.
1: We think so. We think so. We did some early work with the uh, guys from NCIS and, and guys over at the SAS in in England uh, from the trauma they come to us. So we, we we've been working with these guys from day one. But we always knew whether it's addiction or trauma, there's a there's a better way to do it because if you're looking at the percentage rates we're looking at of people getting well, combined with the suicide rates of our armed forces, is absolutely not acceptable. Especially for us, it's not acceptable. I mean the way. And, and I might be speaking out of school here. I don't know, Mark, but I'm going to say it anyway, um, the way this country treats their veterans is absolutely disgusting. Um, so there's there is better work, you know, and, and we've started a, a wave here, but it's more like a tsunami uh, of treatment that's going to pass on and pass on and pass on. Now, the only problem with that is I'm nearly 60. So I've been doing this for almost 30 years, whether it'll be in my lifetime or whether it'll be people that, that carry on from what the work and the studying that I've been doing. But one day, I'm hoping really soon that we'll turn away from conventional methods and we'll look at alternative ways of doing this because we are successful and it works and we're saving lives on a daily basis. That's how important it is to us. It's not a guy that comes in who's suffering from trauma, and sits in front of me for an hour and then we send him on. No, we have his life in our hands. We know how desperate and how dangerous this is, especially from people in the armed forces. So we have to be real careful. We're all very passionate here, the Rub Cutting Recovery Group, and we've all been through trauma. We've all got well, and we all want to help our next human being walking through the door.
0: There's a lot of talk now about the efficacy of critical incident stress debriefing and resiliency training. So the idea is have the pre-work done to make you more resilient, and then when something does happen, nip it in the bud immediately. And I've been hearing from different doctors counter opposed opinions on this uh what's your opinion
1: i i don't have a lot of experience i must admit so for me to comment on such a method uh wouldn't be right i i would have to study more before answering that but again to what you just said if it works it works so if if some people are getting well uh no matter what the treatment is i think i think it, i think it's all for the good i really do I mean, like by NLP and somatic experience and the psychology that we do here, it's not the only way to get well. We open arms any other kind of treatment that doesn't involve drugs. We just want to stay away from distorting the mind further than it is. So when we come here, the real question is, not so much do other methods work, but do we need to take drugs for this? Do we need to then start an addiction with something else for this? Or is there a cleaner way out? Uh, and, and by cleaner, I mean drug-free way out to to, to remap. And I, I think there's, I think NLP and SE, which is somatic experience, I think they're just uh, the, the top of the iceberg. I think the more we go into uh, trauma, especially in the last 10, 15 years, the more we find out, the more we move on. I mean, Samaric experience, I mean, if you see a deer on the side of the road and it gets hit by a car, but it doesn't die, for a second, it'll stay still. Then it'll get up, then it'll shake itself off and it'll carry on. That deer doesn't suffer from trauma from what we've found out because it shook it off straight away. And, and and there needs to be some sort of treatment where we can shake it off straight away when, when something traumatic happens and it's not stored in the body because the body keeps count of this stuff. The body does keep count of it.
0: It's incredible. The, 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 the physical effect, the physiological effect that trauma can have on your body. I had a lady on just a couple of days ago. She was the spouse of a veteran and the physiological effects were so extreme that she was physically paralyzed in the hospital because of stress.
1: Yes, definitely. Without a doubt. And causes death. There's a load of, there, there's a load of symptoms and side effects from just the stress that we see people under. Cause, and, and the other thing as well, Mark, is people throw the word around stress too often you know, oh, I'm stressed at work, I'm stressed, I have to change the, the the brand new tire on my brand new Range Rover. And it's like, you know, we've got to look at this different types of stress, there's a the stress that people call stress, because they have to go to a nine to five job. And there's a the stress that damaging the body damaging the central nervous system, and the mindset as a whole. And I think them two can be treated different. But we have to emphasize that stress is a killer. I mean, it, it 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 kills people, and and, and was so easy. putting off. Well, well he had a heart attack. No, he didn't. He didn't approach the stress, so it, it, the body kept counting, kept counting, kept counting. And all of a sudden, it was too much for him to handle. So he died of a heart attack. You don't put it down as PTSD or stress. You put it down as a heart attack. And that's why the figures are distorted in this country. And that's why we need to get the bottom of this. And we need to keep research and research and research. Ours is evidence based research that this needs to be taken a clearer look at.
0: Not everybody is ready for help. And when is somebody ready, ready for help? What is that magic spot? Where does somebody got to get to where they're finally ready to be helped?
1: You know, it varies. And, and I'll tell you why it varies. Because I, as a, as a self-made millionaire in England some, some 30 years ago, with a wife and two kids, uh, was drinking and taking drugs for so long that I lost the wife, the kids, the cars, the house, and they ended up on the streets. When I was on the streets living rough under bus shelters and, 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 and in uh, under bushes, I still didn't think I had a problem. People tried to help me, but I didn't see it as a problem. It was only after being on the streets for about 14 months that I realized I broke down one day and, and I started to cry from my stomach. Uh, I wasn't crying because I lost my kids and my wife. I was crying because the first time in my life I realized I couldn't stop drinking. So that was my breaking point. Now, having said that, we've picked people up in in very, very, very expensive, exclusive hotels, drinking $5,000 bottles of champagne. That was her bottom. But I think you know when you know for someone to try to define um when they're ready it, it's really hard i mean it's really hard i think you've just got to be sick an old saying but it's a true saying sick and tired of being sick and tired
0: what do you, you think know, are some of the to barriers you. to healing
1: um we, we come up with a thousand excuses first of all do we want to come out of the closet as a, an alcoholic drug addict or, or somebody suffering ptsd that's a hard one for a start but we also think we can fix this on our own because when it comes down to it, the human being, especially men, do not like to ask for help. I mean, you've just got to look at uh, directions in a car before iPhones came out. The man never asked the direction. It's always the woman. If we go into a, a complex where there's loads of stores and you can't find, you always send the woman over to ask. You never do it yourself. So guys very rarely come out and go, hey, I've got a problem. Can you help me? Because it's not the macho thing to do. You know, the macho thing to do, like, like my dad used to say, is, is pick yourself up. Dust yourself off and get it done, son, and, and don't worry about anything else. But we've got to look at these illnesses and the, and the, and the PTSD as a different kind of wave coming over us. And we have to t- treat it differently. We have to start, stop treating it as if it's some disgraceful illness that we're ashamed of. Mental injury or mental illness is such a touchy subject, and it covers such a wide variety of illnesses. So we did a, a research once went out, and we asked 10 people, uh, you know, what's uh, mental illness? And all of them said it was schizophrenia, you know, and, and stuff like that. So, no wonder nobody wants to come out because there's no different categories like there is like bipolar one, two, and three. I mean, I think they should have mental illness one, two, and three, four, five, or whatever it may be. But I think people are scared, scared and embarrassed.
0: When somebody's on the edge of suicide, you see all these posts on social media saying, Hey, if you're thinking about it, just call me. And that kind of scares me because most people, regardless of how well-intentioned they are, are horrific listeners. Uh, what would you say are some of the top do's and don'ts of being a peer supporter?
1: Um, well, by the time someone's ready, ready to commit suicide, it's, it's way too late. We should be looking at a month before anything happens. You'll see changes. I don't care what it is or how. There's changes to be had. Uh, So I mean, it's always good to keep open dialogue with anybody that's isolating. Anybody showing signs of depression is to keep open dialogue with these guys. Yeah, nobody's going to call you, by the way. If I mean, you probably know yourself, Mark. If if you if you're doing suicide because you're you're asking for for pity or you're trying to trying to scare your mum or something like that or a cry for help, you know that happens on a daily basis uh, with the people I work with. But the real guys that want to commit suicide, like for instance, my wife's brother. Uh, there was a, a, a great party made made arrangements for the day after went home and shot himself i mean there was there, everyone said there was no signs rubbish there was signs uh, that we could have looked for and it's going back to the same old old, old ideas on Kempt, uh, not going to regular engagements not uh, dealing with the family uh, isolation you know depression all this stuff that we need the the guy in the corner at school that later shoots up the school should have been approached when he was in the corner on his own no man left behind get in the corner start talking to him Get him involved in the community. You know, getting everyone wants to put somebody down today. Pick somebody up. If we start doing this, guys, around people, the the suicide prevention will will go down. The suicide rate will go down. The prevention is very important, but we cut people out of our lives because they don't fit in. I didn't fit in. I was the guy that was begging on the streets. I was the guy when unconscious people step over. Now they call me one of the best minds in the modern addiction world. Which is it, guys? Do you want to step over me and not know me? Or now do you want to know me because I'm doing well? It's like, stop it. We've got to start lifting people up. We've got to start open dialogue with these people. And we've got to start bringing them into our pact because you guys know who they are. They're very, very do I go, rarely do I go to somebody. And so a little Johnny's committed suicide. Was you surprised? Well, not really. Well, why the hell didn't you do something about it? But they don't. Nobody likes to get involved with anything to do with mental illness.
0: The lack of connection is such a powerful force towards depression, addiction, suicide. When going back to military and first responders, uh, when you get cooked from, like my tour. My tour, I was in uh, the war in Croatia in 94, and it cooked me. And I knew I was cooked, but I did know that it was an operational stress injury. And um, I knew I had to get out, even though I didn't want to get out. It was terrifying. But when I got out, I'm now this injured wild soldier. So the civilian world is like, what the hell? Like, who's this guy? (laughs) You know, he's a nut. And, uh, and the soldiers that I, that were my brothers at that time were like, well, you got out. So what are you doing here? We want nothing to do with you. And, um, it's like, you're, you're not in the fold anymore. Um, and that creates disconnection and a sense of being completely and totally alone. And, uh, in today's world of social media uh, people seem to think that liking somebody's posts on facebook is a sense of connection or, or a way to support somebody and it, it is it is not they got to pick up the phone pick up the phone and actually physically be with somebody and just be there you don't have to solve any problems you just have to be there
1: yeah that's beautiful i mean i i always laugh when people say that you know well i sent him a friend i sent him a like or i No, you're plugged into the wall, guys, is what you are. And that's all you are. Human connection is needed. You know, look after your own is the biggest advice I can give. Look after your own. Someone knows someone who's suffering. Someone knows someone who's been through some traumatic experience like yourself, Mark. You know, family is the first, but friends, you know, that people don't. I mean, it's like me. I I, I was surprised the other day because somebody said to me, oh, do you know what, Dr. Kelly? You are amazing at what you do. And my reaction in the office was, wow, thank you. And the other guys in the office, well, well, why are you why are you surprised? Like because nobody tells me. Yeah, but surely you know. Well, we don't know unless anybody tells us. And it's like the veterans that come back. Well, they'll be doing okay, they'll get a job. So they don't know if you don't help them and ask them, how are you doing today? How's you know, whatever we need to do to keep our guys safe, we need to start doing. Make that effort. Make that call to the guy in the corner at school. Make that call to your auntie's uncle's friend who seems a bit depressed or he's come home from a war zone. Make it make that make your your thing to call him up every week and make that personal collection. Don't think somebody else is doing it. They're not. There's a new generation, guys, and it's us coming through that are gonna do this and make the connection and make somebody's day. I was in I was in a, a big store the other day and was ordering a cake for a friend who's celebrating his sobriety birthday. And me and the woman behind the counter, it was must have been 85 if she's a day. She was saying if I was 40 years younger, me and you would go out, you know, I'd, I'd be chasing you. And we had this dialogue back and forth. And uh, we went home and the next day I went back in because, it, you know, did some writing on the cake. And I was paying the guy for the cake and the woman came out and she says, can I have a word with you? So I said, yeah. So she, I said, she said, I want to thank you for yesterday. So I said, why? We just had a banter. He said, no, you don't understand. My husband died three months ago. And yesterday was the first time I could actually come into the store without breaking down. And you made me laugh. I had no idea I'd done that. But because I'm outgoing and do these things, I probably saved a life. I don't know. But the things is, lift somebody up, or put them down, make somebody smile, you know, compliment three people every day. That's what I do. You never know who you can help by that phone call. You know, but it has to be A personal touch, sending an email or a friend request will not cut it. We just won't cut it today.
0: One of the best ways to put yourself in a good mood and to heal yourself is to help somebody else. And it doesn't take much. You don't need a PhD to help somebody. You need to know how to smile and to get out of your own head enough to remember that other people are maybe having a day. And just a simple smile as you're passing some stranger is enough to to have them smile back and and lift them up just a little bit. It doesn't take much, and you can never discount the power of your words. A lot of people, they believe, well, who am I to lift anybody up? I'm I'm nothing. I don't think I'm anybody. Uh, But yet, I I think about one of my cousins who uh, has He's got a pretty rough life, uh, and doesn't think very much of himself. But there's been a couple of moments where he said some kind words to me that meant the world and have stayed with me thirty years later. Uh, because of him, I went to college just because of a few words of encouragement. Yeah. You, you, you know, that's a that's big. A few words of encouragement, and I went to college, and because um, I wasn't getting that from anywhere else. So we all have the power to lift somebody else, no matter what you think your station is in life a couple of kind words are free just but be
1: unbelievably kind free and you know something when i say thank you to somebody and everyone's the same or i compliment somebody my dopamine's released in my brain well sure it's a natural occurrence so i'm feeling i like dopamine so i'm feeling good <laughs> anyway you know and and if you get up in the morning and go out and make it your day every single day to compliment or smile at three people during that day you will never know how many lives you have saved and, and don't let anybody tell you, Oh, that's a bit dramatic. No, it's not a bit dramatic. You know, they're all saying at school, these sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hit, hurt me is wrong. A word, you know, will hurt somebody. We need to be the people that are smiling. We need to be the people that are thanking people. We need to be the people that are going, hey, that's a great dress you've got on today, or that's a great coat you've got on, guy. These are the things that make people's days. And I say this after nearly almost 30 years of experience of of doing this on a daily basis, is you never know who you're gonna affect and don't belittle yourself you are very powerful as a human being when you've got something nice to say to somebody, very powerful indeed. And you need to realize, I mean, I don't care where you come from or what you're doing, or even how much stress you are under yourself. If you make that human connection and thank somebody or smile at somebody, you will feel better. Believe me. It's very hard to be kind to someone, communicate with someone, smile at someone and depress yourself. It's very, very hard.
0: Earlier on, you're talking about stigma. Uh, you sort of alluded to it, but I'd like to hit that straight on. What's uh, the best way to reduce stigma of mental injury?
1: It's it's people coming out like me. You know, I am not anonymous, and no one wish do I wish to be. It's people coming out that going, "Hey, look at that guy. He's very successful, but he's an alcoholic. Wow!" Because you know, alcoholism, addiction, PTSD, it's all treated the same. I mean, it's like there's an old joke about the guy being in the bar and the guy said, what do you want to drink? And the guy says, you know, uh, I'm an alcoholic. And he, he said, what do you say? He said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a bank robber. He said, oh, thank God <laughs> for that. I thought he was going to say you was an alcoholic. It's the stigma attached to all this stuff. It's like, let's get a few guys out there blatant and brave. And when you do recover, because you can recover from this stuff you're going through, start helping other people. And if you can and your job permits, start doing it loudly. We live out loud, people like me, so other people don't have to suffer in silence. And people go, you know what, Dr. Rob? You've got a big mouth. You're so cocky. You're very aggressive. I love it. Bring it on, guys. Would you know something? People are are getting well in silence because I'm doing this. People are getting well and listening. If they just get an ounce of courage to go out and do it themselves, I don't want thanks for that because I know that a powerful word or a powerful smile can save lives. So let's get the stigma out of the cupboard. You know, we are now, even now, after 80, 90 years of, of alcoholics kind of uh, being treated as if it was a disease, we are where the the gay community was thirty years ago. I mean, I mean, every it's accepted today. You know, if you're gay, bisexual, you know, nobody whatever, cares it's anymore. Fine. It's fine. No who cares. Nobody cares. When alcoholics. It's like, oh, we still got that thing, and that we need to be loud. We need to be boastful. We need to be brash, and we need to start making a name for ourselves.
0: I heard the uh, tagline just a couple of weeks ago, recover out loud. And I just love it. I was doing a veterans ride across Canada, veterans ride on motorcycles. And somebody had said that to me and uh, ended up doing a podcast episode on recovering out loud. So important. And and that's a big part of uh, like, it's not easy to start your own trauma recovery podcast, put your hand up and say, yeah, (laughs) I've got some issues, you know, but if I don't, then other people don't know that it's okay. Like and
1: that and that's you know you say that Mark and, and you, you sit there and and you you don't know how much power you're having you don't know how many people you have saved for being that one guy yeah I've got problems but I'll do a podcast because if you think I come on any podcast I got better things to do than come on any podcast you were you were targeted for a reason and the reason was. That that would. Courtney has listened to some of your shows. This guy's affecting and changing lives on a daily basis, Rob. You need to get in contact with this guy. So I, I love what you do, Mark. And, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you do, especially the guys that have been through you. It takes a lot of courage to stand up and do it. And do it as good as you do it, by the way, because that's what people are looking at. Look at Mark. He's been through it, but look at him now. He's stood up despite all the stuff that could have come your way. You know the hassle and disgrace, but they haven't. People are listening to you on a daily basis. I couldn't wait to get on this podcast today because you in my in my my viewers are a are a fucking hero for doing what you do, and and it's needed. Like you do it in, with such class, Mark. I just do it with a big mouth. I, you know, I'm just <laughs> wish I could be as class and, and, and as calm as you. But it, it takes all sorts. But man, thank you for what you do. You make a difference, man. I'm telling you.
0: Well, that. Um to say that puts a lot of wind in my sails is an understatement. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for saying that it's a bit off putting for me to hear it. <laughs> it's, it's tough to hear and a little choked up, uh, might even missed up here, but, uh, thank you very much. It is super important. And, and with that, um, if people are looking for your services uh, and they're looking to recover with your help, how do they find you?
1: We we help people with depression, with PTSD, alcohol, drugs, whatever it may be that's affecting your life. Uh, RobKelly.com. I also spell my name with two B's, so it's R O B B K E L L Y.com. Uh, or you can jump onto the internet and just put Dr. Rob Kelly in. All the platforms will be there. It'll all be cool. And one thing I will say is the last thing my daughter said to me before the authorities took him off me was, "Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking." There is a book on Amazon called Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking. It's my book. And the only reason why I mention it is because no monies are taken back to us. Every single, not profits, but every dime spent on that book goes back into the communities. People who have been to war. People who are suffering from PTSD. People are depressed, alcoholic, and drug addicts. It all goes back to them. We're not taking a dime off that book. So if you want a good read, jump on there and then pass it on. And if you just want to read electronically, it's free of charge. So I'll have a look at it and just, you know, just send me an email and say how, how much you enjoyed it or not, as the case may be.
0: And of course, I'll have all of your links in the show notes so that people can find you. And um, uh, please stay on the line after I stop the recording here. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast today's episode of operation tango romeo is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor the vancouver island works project vancouver island works project they are providing us at operation tango romeo with a premium website they're building it for us populating it they're looking after everything that i don't know how to do if you are looking for a website for yourself Please check out the Vancouver Island Works Project, VIWProject.com. That's Victor India Whiskey Project.com. Now, they do a lot more than just websites, they do a whole bunch. Please check out their services on the service tab on their website at VIWProject.com accounting, bookkeeping, uh, Microsoft and Adobe training, social media management, you name it. Now, the website is that they're building for us is just under construction right now. It'll be up and running probably in a few weeks. There'll be a big announcement about that. But VancouverIslandWorksProject.com is supporting Tango Romeo. Thank you for that. Thank you, Manny Mandruziak, who I served with. And please check them out, man. Check them out. Get a premium website for yourself. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast.